I've often heard it said about goal setting that for it to be effective, our goals have to be specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and they absolutely must have a deadline. Well, in our passage from Matthew's Gospel this morning, it appears as though Jesus has been reading up on goal-setting pro tips because he cannot possibly be any more clear on what it takes to achieve the goal of being welcomed into his reign. He says, you want to be part of my Father's kingdom? Well, here are the action steps. Feed the hungry, give water to the thirsty, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, take care of the sick, and visit those in prison. Bing, bang, boom. You're in. At first glance, this passage reads almost more like a grading rubric for a homework assignment than Holy Scripture passed down from generations. Okay, so you have a goal. Here are the six specific things you have to do in order to realize that goal. Easy. This passage falls at the end of Jesus' farewell discourse, his final set of teachings before his death. And I feel like he's really trying to be abundantly clear about how to get into the kingdom of heaven, since there are always so many follow-up questions to his parables. Maybe he's finally realizing that they were a little confusing after all. But there has to be more here, right? It really can't be this simple, can it? Maybe we should read some books about the Gospel of Matthew. Let's look at the commentaries one more time. Surely there is a hidden meaning here that's deeper and more nuanced than simply feed, give to, welcome, clothe, care for, and visit those in need. And to that, I say no. Don't listen to that nagging voice in your head telling you to make this more complicated than it really is. The urge to intellectualize Jesus' very clear teaching in this passage, frankly, is part of what sometimes gets us in trouble in the, as Episcopalians. Yes, context is important. Taking time to carefully consider scripture and decipher its meaning is important. Learning the etymological roots of Greek and Hebrew words is important. But those tools should only ever be used to draw us into a deeper level of understanding scripture and not give us a way to look past or study our way out of the overt requirements that Jesus clearly lays out for us to enter into the reign of God. I myself fell into that trap just this week preparing to preach this morning, and I don't even typically tend toward the overly academic or intellectual. And why? Why is that? Well, for one thing, it's easier to read a book than build a relationship. It's easier to mail a check than to put a dollar in the outstretched hand of someone asking for money on the street. This is not to say that reading that book or mailing that check are wrong or unimportant. In fact, those are some of the unglamorous and yet necessary things that keep the, the work of the church going. And yet, if we're not careful, they can keep us at arm's length from the reality of human need in our midst. They keep us at a comfortable distance from the least of these, which is precisely where Jesus tells us he will be found. That's why it's so important that Jesus doesn't mince words here. He saves us from ourselves, from any wiggle room that would allow us to ignore his call to feed, give to, welcome, clothe, care for, and visit. But just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Take running, for example. Running is not complicated. It's just like walking, except faster. But running can be very difficult, 
especially if you've never done it before or you haven't done it in a long time. I'm a runner, and I also kind of hate running. I always tell people I like everything about running except actually doing it. I like hitting a mileage goal. I like choosing a route or researching a new trail. I like wearing athletic garb. I like signing up for races and getting medals. But for the life of me, I still don't really like running. It's still hard for me, even though I've run several long distance races. Now, I know that this is not true for all runners, and there are some people out there who actually enjoy running for the sake of it. These are not my people. These are probably the people you see out for a run that aren't even wearing headphones to drown out the sound of their own breathing or suppress their negative thoughts. For me, it's not really about running, though. It's about being a runner. I run, I do the hard thing, because it changes who I am. It makes me into a runner. And slowly, over time, without me even noticing, it gets easier. Emphasis on the er. For me, I don't think running will ever feel easy. But when I'm the most consistent with it, I develop stamina and muscle memory, and it doesn't take quite as much effort. That's the thing about difficult things. If you keep doing them over and over and over again until they become second nature, they'll transform you. The more often you do them, the more natural they begin to feel. And you start to think to yourself, hey, maybe this is just who I am now. What Jesus calls us to in this passage are simple things, but they are hard things. But as Christian mommy blogger turned queer activist Glennon Doyle always tells us, we can do hard things. When I was a field ed student, I used to visit and take communion to a woman from the church who didn't often leave her home. The first time I went, I felt unbelievably awkward. I didn't know what to say to her. I felt uncomfortable looking at the hospital bed that she slept in, sitting right out in the living room. It felt so personal and intimate, like I shouldn't be seeing it. But in that first visit, we discovered a mutual love for football. And so we got in the habit of watching NFL games together on Sundays after church. During the commercial breaks, she would tell me stories of her time as an activist, and we would chat about life and sports and whatever atrocious snack food was being advertised on TV. It wasn't that all of those feelings that I noticed during my first visit went away. I still felt uncomfortable hanging out in the same room where she slept in a hospital bed. I still felt sad that she didn't often have the chance to go out. I still didn't always know what to say. But I went, and I went again. And soon the love that I had for her overwhelmed the other feelings I was experiencing. And that's what was transformative for me. The next time I was called on to visit someone else's home, I entered that house with the knowledge that I would probably feel weird inside, but that Jesus would show up anyway and meet us both there. And soon visiting people in the hospital or in their homes became second nature to me. I built up muscle memory and stamina for it. Jesus is calling us to transform ourselves from the inside out by consistently showing up for the most vulnerable among us, by being vulnerable enough ourselves to be intimate with the suffering of our fellow humans and to meet that suffering with mercy. That simple one, two, three checklist that Jesus gives us is helpful, but it's meant to be demonstrative and not exhaustive. There are a million ways for us to feed, give to, welcome, clothe, care for, and visit those in need. 
but they all require us to open ourselves up to suffering in the world around us. There's no way around that in this gospel. But what I know to be true from my own experience is that the more we do it, the more natural it becomes. It never feels easy, but over time it becomes a part of who we are. We become people so connected to Christ the King, who is royal in his vulnerability, from his humble entry into the world via an unlikely teenage mother in a stable, to his last breath on the cross, that we can't help but to see him everywhere. To me, this feels like good news, especially in a year when good news is hard to come by. All Jesus is asking us to do here is to show up and to show mercy. All that separates the sheep from the goats is their actions, not their words or how they feel, not their well-articulated theologies. It's not about what they say or believe. It's about what they do. I know that 2020 has probably been the hardest year for many of us in recent memory, or maybe even our entire lives. In my lifetime, I haven't experienced a time with more of a sustained and collective sense of dread. We are living with political division, an ever-increasing death toll due to a pandemic that is gaining speed instead of slowing down, a collective reckoning with our nation's history of white supremacy, and on top of all that, we are kept apart from the communities who love us and nurture us through difficult times such as these. But Jesus isn't asking us to be happy. He's not asking us to not be afraid or uncomfortable. Jesus isn't even asking us to be 100% sure where God is in all of this. Jesus is asking us to trust him enough to keep showing up for one another and to keep doing the hard things. We can do hard things. And when we do, when we consistently show up and do the hard things, Jesus promises us that he will seek us out and find us there. And we'll be welcomed into his embrace along with all the others who have been lost, injured, and weakened by living lives that draw close to human suffering. This is the promise of the reign of Christ. Christ who is kingly in his humility and powerful in our weakness. <laughs>